Chapter Seven of the Statement of Stella Maybury by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven. I had thought the loss of Hugh Dallas's love at the very moment when I believed it won the greatest misery that could befall me, but beside the overwhelming horror of such a secret as I now had to bear, his desertion seemed almost insignificant. There were times when the thought that the gentle girl who had loved me was dead through my own half-guilty inaction, that some lost and wandering soul, if not a spirit from hell itself, was masquerading in her form, and I was compelled to assist in this ghastly mockery, was so intolerable that it seemed as if my brain must inevitably give way under it. Then I would try to persuade myself that my terrors were unreal, that I was the victim of some morbid hallucination which caused me to distort the most ordinary events, to find confirmation of my fancies in Evelyn's most innocent acts and speeches, and these attempts sometimes almost succeeded. She did everything in her power to overcome my antipathy, and there was a subtle witchery now in her looks and ways that made it hard to resist her always. I did so long to believe, if I only could, that she was just her own sweet human self, and not what my instinct and reason knew her to be. I fancy that at the beginning she really had a kind of fierce, perverse fondness for me, or at least that she desired to conquer my affection and make a fascinated submissive slave of me. But that she could not do. My dread of her was too deeply rooted. It returned in spite of myself, and made me as rebellious as I dared and so it was not long before she realised that the aversion she inspired in me was proof against all her advances, and from that time she felt nothing for me but malignant hatred. This showed itself especially in the systematic persecution she practised upon me whenever Hugh Dallas was with us, a torture so refined that no observer could have detected its insidious cruelty for then she would overwhelm me with hypocritical caresses and little affectionate speeches which i was powerless either to resent or to respond to except by what as she knew perfectly well would strike him as sullen ungraciousness or she would try to provoke me into some outbreak by apparently innocent remarks and allusions so skilfully worded that i alone felt their sting is it any wonder if sometimes these diabolical tactics of hers succeeded, and if under the strain I forgot all my prudent resolves to keep calm, to avoid playing into her hands by some violent retort which would merely put me more hopelessly in the wrong? Occasionally, as I surprised her pathetic maw of distress at my hardness of heart, and his answering look of sympathy and admiration of her angelic forbearance, or when I noted the alteration in his tone to me, his grave concern at my insensibility, an incredulous wonder that any person could resist such sweetness as hers, occasionally a sense of a certain ghastly humour in the situation would seize me, and I would burst out laughing, hollow and mirthless laughter though it was, in his astonished face, which no doubt lowered his opinion of me more than ever. I knew well enough that every scene of this sort left him more enraptured with Evelyn's incomparable excellence, more devoutly thankful for his lucky escape from such a warped and soured nature as mine, and I almost, if not quite, hated him 
for such infatuation, such blindness. To him she was a pure and saintly being, whom he felt unworthy to approach with earthly passion. He never saw, as I saw, that each shy, soft glance of hers, each dainty posture and slow, undulating movement, was deliberately and cunningly calculated to increase the sensuous, intoxicating effect she produced. It was bitter enough to be condemned to bear all this, and yet there was just one hope which sustained me. Such a nature as hers must be incapable of love. She could not be anything but indifferent to him. She would not have gone on playing with his feelings so long except for the pleasure she found in seeing how it tormented me. If I only restrained myself, she would tire of her amusement in time, tire of her saintly pose, tire of his reverence and devotion. She would reveal herself to him as she really was, false, corrupt, cynical and cruel, and he was hardly the man whose love would survive such a shattering of his ideal. And if it did not, who could tell what might happen? He might come back to me. Even yet. I did not know myself how desperately I wished him to come back. I thought I hated and despised him too much to care now whether he did or not. It was only when this last poor hope was taken from me that I realised how much I had come to depend on it. One evening, after Hugh Dallas had gone, Evelyn came into the room where I was sitting, knelt by my chair, and turned her pleading face up to mine with an expression of such exultation and tenderness and purity that for the moment I could again have almost believed that in some wonderful way my own dear Evelyn was restored to me. But only for a moment, for even as I gazed into those deep and lustrous eyes of hers, I saw the cunning malignant devil I feared lurking there still, and I knew that some new scheme was on hand, and that I must be on my guard. "'I've come to tell you something,' she began, and the pretty shyness and timidity in her voice and looks would assuredly have deceived any one but me. "'Be kind to me now, Stella. Don't be hard and bitter when I'm so happy, so very, very happy. You will guess why, I think.' Hugh has asked me to be his wife. His wife? I cried. But you have not said yes. Oh, don't tell me you've said that. But I have, Stella. What else could I say when I love him with all my heart? Why, I thought, she added with the most perfect assumption of unconsciousness, I thought you no longer disliked him. I hoped you would be just a little glad. You hoped no such thing. You know as well as I that the very name of love is a lie and a mockery on such lips as yours. She looked plaintive, bewildered. I don't understand you, Stella. You can't really mean such a cruel speech. Oh, why do you play this comedy of innocence now? I cried impatiently. You've no audience here to be deceived by it. It's all wasted on me. Let us speak plainly now we're alone. Understand this. I will not stand by and permit such a marriage as this. Do what you will to me, and even you cannot make me much more miserable than I am. I will prevent you from blighting Hugh Dallas's life. It was curious to see, although obviously uneasy at the opposition she'd roused in me, 
she still tried to keep up her assumed character. "'You're not yourself,' she said. "'Stella, dear Stella, try not to give way to these moods. They frighten me.' Hmm, "'If they do,' I said, "'so much the better. Be warned, for I mean what I say. Unless you give up this wicked design of yours, I'll tell Hugh what you are. Let it cost me what it will.' he shall know that it is not Evelyn's spotless soul that makes her form seem so wondrously fair, but a devil, a vile and fiendish spirit that has taken possession of her lifeless shell. She made no reply, but retreated a step or two and stood gazing at me with dilated eyes. I believe that for the moment, at all events, she really was alarmed, and so I left her, feeling that for once the advantage was with me. Fool that I was to suppose that I was any match for her. That same night she glided into my room and stood by my bedside, like some lovely apparition in her white robe and with her fair hair floating loose about her shoulders. She bent over me in the attitude of a guardian angel and laid her soft, cool palm on my burning forehead but the mocking curve of her lips and the sinister glitter in her eyes told me that the mask was dropped, and my heart sank with a slavish dread. "'You were very bold, Stella,' she said in a soft, deliberate whisper. "'Your threats sounded quite determined. And yet you know, and I know, that you will never carry them out?' "'No, you will never find the courage to enlighten Hugh Dallas.' What can you hope to gain by it? I should save him from you, I said. Oh, your hopes go further than that. You are still clinging to the idea that if he knew me as I am, he would come back to you. You cannot deceive me, you see. But have you reflected that you cannot convince him of what I am without confessing to what you are? Are you really sanguine enough to believe that though he is utterly indifferent to you now, his passion will revive when he sees you in your new character, a jealous, treacherous murderess, compelled to conceal her guilt by accepting such help as mine? I'm not a murderess. He will never believe that of me. Oh, no, he will not believe it. He will not believe a single word of your confession denunciation, whatever you prefer to call it, he will merely regard it as an exhibition of hysterical spite and jealousy. His masculine vanity will be tickled by the discovery that you are still passionately in love with him. He will pity you, perhaps, but he will certainly despise you. Will you be satisfied, then? He shall never pity me, I cried, and you're wrong. I love him no longer. I hate him. Yes, I hate him. And yet you would try to save him from me. It is not as if you would succeed. You would only humble yourself in vain. He would think, oh, you can imagine what he would think of you. But there, I'm not afraid of you, Stella. You have too much pride to make yourself contemptible in his eyes for nothing. You are passionate too. You would like to see this man suffer as he has made you suffer. Leave him in my hands, and I will avenge you. 
do you think he will be happier or better for loving me could you wish for a more complete revenge than to see this faithless lover of yours kneeling at my feet i do not want revenge i said i do not want you to suffer oh then you are more superhumanly magnanimous than i gave you credit for being she said but whether that is so or not it comes to the same thing in the end hugh dallas is mine and you will not interfere between us you have neither the courage nor the power nor even the will to-morrow you will have come to your senses you will keep a strict guard over yourself and behave both to hugh and me as if you entirely approved of our engagement and heartily rejoiced in the happiness of your dearest friend that is what i came to say to you my beloved stella and now it is said i will leave you in peace she gave me a cruel little kiss as though in half contemptuous acknowledgment of my submission and was gone noiselessly and ghost-like as she had come in and the next morning i did exactly as she had predicted she was all gentleness and affection and when i began to refer to the scene between us the night before entreated me to forget it everything was forgotten and forgiven and i was her own dear stella again i had to listen and respond to mrs maitland's ecstasies at the fulfilment of her dearest wishes which she evidently imagined she had brought about by her own diplomacy i had to see hugh dallas arrive in all the pride and glory of an accepted suitor i even congratulated him and i believe without betraying by voice or manner the horrible suffering it cost me the news of the engagement seemed to give general satisfaction hugh was popular in the county and winston society was full of praises of evelyn's beauty and sweetness and charm no one for a moment suspected the secret change in her she played her part with such consummate skill that as i have already said even i was sometimes tempted to an involuntary forgetfulness of the ghastly reality and so for days i stood by and held my peace despising myself for my cowardice and yet powerless to utter even a hint of what i knew until at last something happened which loosened my tongue in spite of every reason for prudence and self-restraint hugh had heard of course of the narrow escape which evelyn had had from being bitten by roy and with the over-anxiety of a lover had made her promise he little knew how superfluous such a precaution was that she would not have another collie by way i suppose of a safer substitute he had offered to get her a blenheim and one afternoon when he drove over he brought with him a tiny liver and white spaniel which he presented to her in the garden i was with her at the time and noticed with a thrill of secret gratification the look of chagrin and dismay on her face when the little creature cowered away from her endearments with every sign of abject terror he won't come to me hugh she exclaimed glancing up at him with piteous eyes and quivering lips like a child on the brink of tears look he declines to have anything to do with me hugh laughed and said something about all dogs being shy at first beau will very soon discover that he is a very fortunate animal he said i felt strangely irritated by this denseness of his perhaps too the sight of the horror with which the animal shrank from her touch 
filled me with shame at my own more cowardly submission. At all events, I could not keep back the words which rushed to my lips. "'You're wrong, Mr. Dallas,' I said. "'Evelyn will never succeed in persuading that creature to trust her or be friendly with her. Dogs have instincts of their own, and are not to be deceived even by her.' I saw the indignation and surprise in his handsome face, the sudden change in hers, and I went on recklessly. He hates you, Evelyn. He sees more clearly than others, though he is only a dog. But perhaps you will call him mad, too, like poor Roy, whom you had put out of the way. Yes, Mr. Dallas, I warn you not to leave that dog here. He will not live long in this house. She will take care of that." He raised his eyebrows as he looked at her with a sort of troubled inquiry, and then he answered me quietly and compassionately, as if he were humouring a fractious child. "'Oh, come, Miss Mabelie,' he said, "'you don't really believe what you say. You know perfectly well that Beau could not be in kinder hands than Evelyn's, and that she's incapable of harming any living thing.' Why do you give way to such extravagant ideas? See how unhappy you're making her. If I could make her as wretched as she makes me, I cried, maddened by his tone. Oh, but then what is the use of saying any more? You will not see. By and by, when it's too late, perhaps, you'll remember that I tried to warn you. And I left them standing there, pale and mute and I knew that it would be some time before either of them recovered their equanimity. When Hugh went away that evening, Beau made a desperate attempt to follow, and refused to be comforted for his former master's desertion. Curiously enough, for I have no natural inclination to purely useless pets, it was to me that he came for protection, and I was so far touched by the poor beast's confidence that I insisted on keeping it with me for the night at least, since it would not allow Evelyn to touch it. In its dumb, foolish way it loved Hugh, and perhaps, even though I told myself that I hated him now, that gave it a certain claim upon me. I took it up to my room, and it slept there at the foot of my bed, where, as I lay awake through the night, I listened for its soft breathing, and even now and then bent forward to touch its smooth, silken head, and assure myself that it was still there and safe. And at daybreak I woke from a short and troubled sleep, with a sense that evil eyes were looking down on me, and when I looked Evelyn was standing there. "'Do you know you were very imprudent yesterday, you poor impulsive Stella?' she began softly. You ought to have discovered by this time that it's unwise to try to defy me. I really think you deserve some slight punishment, just as a lesson to avoid these indiscretions for the future. Was it quite wise to warn Hugh that this little creature, she laid one white hand lightly on the spaniel, which moaned and shivered in his sleep, would never consent to make friends with me? Whether it was wise or not to say it, it was the truth. You know it was true, I said. You went further than that, she said. You hazarded a prediction that the animal would not live long if left to my tender mercies. 
you would probably not be sorry to see your anticipation fulfilled like most prophets of evil what do you mean i cried oh my god what are you going to do oh only to convince our excellent hugh of your skill in prophecy she said and with that she seized the wretched spaniel and deliberately strangled it before my eyes i lay there too paralysed by horror and pity to move or cry out i could only look on as the poor little life ebbed slowly away between those slender pitiless hands you devil i cried at last when all was over and the victim dropped limp and still from her grasp you cruel malicious devil you shall hear of this everyone shall know thank god you've overreached yourself this time you've shown yourself as you really are she laughed with an infernal glee and triumphant wickedness which made my blood run chill oh, you're too hasty as usual my dearest stella it is not i who have overreached myself if you reflect for a moment you'll see that you are the only person who can possibly be connected with this incident it was you who foretold that the dog would come to a tragic end you who though you avowedly dislike such creatures took him up into your own room you who have made no secret of your jealousy of me and your hatred of hugh oh, what more natural than that in a sudden burst of frenzy you should have carried out your own prediction who will suspect harmless innocent evil in heseltine why you fool i shall come down in a few hours having slept peacefully all night and utterly ignorant that any harm has happened to the dog that was given me only yesterday by my beloved hugh if you accuse me do you know what will be said every one hugh and all will think that you are insane mad with disappointed love and jealous brooding oh such a pity a beautiful spirited girl like poor miss maberley most distressing case such a shock to her friend miss heseltine who was absolutely devoted to her but really for everybody's sake it would be better if some steps were taken can't you hear the good folk of winston gossiping and all your own doing you thought you could match yourself against me and you see you have failed i recognised the frightful truth in what she said appearances were all in her favour and against me devil that she was she had me at her mercy and i had no choice but to submit i know i said i know it's useless for me to contend against you if i keep silence if i tell nobody that you did this thing you'll not let the blame fall upon me i could not bear him or any one to think me capable of such horrible cruelty i should have imagined she said that this was the merest trifle compared to the charge that might be brought against you it's nothing to me whether you accuse me or not you'll only injure yourself still as you seem to have learnt your lesson you shall be helped out of the difficulty for once 
if you like to tell me at breakfast that your protégé had a fit during the night and died i shall be too simple-minded and guileless to doubt your story and there will be no questions asked or fuss of any kind that is what in your own interest i should advise you to do but of course you will follow your own judgment i know it was a despicable surrender and yet what else could i do anything seemed better just then than the thought of having to endure hugh's scorn and loathing as a monster of cruelty or which was even worse being shunned as a madwoman it was hard to believe that the girl i met at the breakfast-table that morning so fair and fresh and dainty could have possibly committed that cold-blooded act a few hours before i told the tale she'd suggested though it sounded lame and unconvincing enough and i feared that mrs maitland's suspicions must be excited by my manner but for evelyn i think they would have been but she came to my assistance as she had promised and after the first well-feigned outburst of surprise and distress and pity she contrived to convince the elder lady that the spaniel's death was due to purely natural causes and to make her understand that i was not well enough just then to be worried about what was probably a painful and disagreeable experience and so the matter passed over mrs maitland had not heard my reckless warning to hugh about the danger of leaving the dog in evelyn's hands so that she was the less likely to see any significance in its speedy death i was not present when evelyn told hugh i dreaded lest i might see in his face that he suspected me and i could not have borne that still i trusted that evelyn would remove any suspicions he might have did not enter my head then that she would be vile and false enough to encourage or much less suggest them but as the days went on i became aware of a change in his manner to me a repressed aversion which he had certainly never shown before i could see quite plainly that he disliked to see evelyn with me though he might have discovered from my cowed spiritless bearing if he had cared how hateful and heavy i found my yoke i knew by a sort of instinct that she was playing me false she was filling his mind with lying impressions and i was determined to find out how much she told him how far he believed her so i watched my opportunity of being alone with him and then i challenged him point-blank mr dallas i've noticed that you have been different to me of late oh don't trouble to deny it i know it perfectly well and i know the reason evelyn has been saying things against me evelyn is not given to speaking or thinking unkindly of any one she loves oh that's not an answer she does not love me what has she been telling you why do you harbour such thoughts don't you see that you're making your life a misery my life is made a misery but not by me it's sheer perversity he said you could conquer these ideas of yours if you only made an effort but if you insist on seeing enemies in those who care for you no one cares for me now i said you did once or thought you did for a time until she came between us 
he chose to ignore oh, perhaps she had actually made him forget that there had ever been a time when he believed that he loved me that's nonsense he said shortly though his manner prevented the words from seeming brutal i am as ready to be your friend now as ever i was more ready indeed and so as you ought to know very well is evelyn whom you are doing everything you can to make miserable i was sure of it i cried she has been talking to you about me mr dallas has she dared to tell you that it was i who killed your poor beau it's a lie good heavens he exclaimed who accuses you of such a thing not evelyn nor i but you suspect me of it you know you do i warned you he wouldn't live long here and it was in my room that he died was it he said as if i couldn't see that he knew it perfectly well i did not know oh and if so what of it there's no earthly reason why you should make yourself unhappy about that no one supposes that you are responsible there it is you don't consider me responsible for my actions evelyn has been telling you i am not you believe that i am mad he made a gesture of angry despair how you twist the most ordinary words i do not believe you are mad if i did it would be some excuse for you but you are quite able to control yourself if only you choose you must make the effort miss maberley throw off these morbid fancies of yours and you will see evelyn as she really is a loving devoted friend who wishes nothing but your happiness his tone was gentler he looked so honest and wholesome-minded so manly and gallant as he stood there that i couldn't find it in my heart to hate him any longer if i ever had really hated him for his faithlessness to me i couldn't even despise him for his blind belief in her a great pity came over me a longing to save him if i could from what he was drifting to my happiness i cried oh my god if you knew if i dared to tell you but i'm afraid you wouldn't listen to what i said you'd only tell her if there is anything on your mind which it would be a relief to tell me you may trust me not to speak of it even to evelyn i will tell you i cried i can't bear it any longer you shall know what this evelyn who has bewitched you into loving her really is whatever she makes me suffer for it that is enough he interrupted sternly i thought you wished to tell me something that concerned yourself you don't suppose i shall listen to any wild charges against her if you're sincere and really believe that poor evelyn is a cruel tyrant and the lord only knows what else why in heaven's name don't you free yourself why do you stay here at tanstead because i must i said i've begged her to let me go away but she will not i will undertake that you are allowed to go if you wish it he replied anything would be better than this wretched state of affairs you want to get rid of me i said bitterly you don't care what becomes of me it's nothing to you that i've nowhere else to go you need not be afraid of being turned out into the world to shift for yourself he replied 
Evelyn would see that your future was provided for. If she once understands that you are miserable in this house, and that nothing she can do will ever overcome the bitterness that you have allowed yourself to feel towards her, she will agree with me that it is better for your happiness that you should leave her as soon as possible. It was humiliating, weak, inconsistent enough, I know, and yet I suddenly recognised that I could endure anything, even the secret torture, the consuming fever of jealousy and dread and impotent hate that were now my portion, rather than be banished from the only place where I could ever see and speak to Hugh Dallas. Besides, where could I go and hope for peace of mind? Where could I even be sure of being safe from her? Oh, Mr. Dallas, I said, I didn't mean all I said just now. I will try to behave differently to Evelyn, if only you will not say anything to her. You don't know what harm you could do me if you told her that I'd been complaining. I will say nothing, he replied. But you must understand this. I will not have Evelyn worried and distressed by any more of these violent scenes and reproaches. Unless you can control these unreasonable tempers and make a better return for the affection and forbearance she shows you, your stay here must and shall end. Make your mind easy, Mr. Dallas, I said. You've shown me how mistaken I have been. I shall keep a stricter guard over my tongue for the future. That's right, he replied cordially. Or rather, keep your mind from brooding over these fanciful wrongs of yours, and you won't need to curb your tongue. There, Miss Maberly, I'm quite sure you won't oblige me to lecture you like this again. You're going to be sensible. Let us shake hands over it. Yes, I'm going to be sensible. I'll give no more trouble, I said, and I gave him my hand and he held it in his firm, warm one for just a second or so, and I turned away with an aching heart at the thought that this calm, friendly interest was all he would ever feel for me now. I'd done my best. I had tried to warn him of his danger, and it was useless. If I overcame my dread of Evelyn and attempted once more to open his eyes, I should only incur his anger as well as hers. I should only be rewarded by seeing his endeavours to drive me away. He would not let me save him, and so I could only leave him in his blindness. For the remainder of that day I compelled myself to make more response to Evelyn's simulated affection, and hoped that she would not find out my attempt to defy and thwart her. But though I am quite certain that it was not Hugh who betrayed me, she knew nevertheless, and taunted me with my failure that very night in one of those stealthy visits of hers, which thenceforward made me dread the approach of darkness and the mockery of lying down to rest. For she would come almost every night now, in the small hours before daybreak, and sit by my pillow and whisper the most appalling threats and jibes in my reluctant ear. I didn't dare to lock my door against her and if I had, I knew that it would be but a vain protection. I tried to close my ears, but she caught my hands and held them fast, and I was forced to listen. 
she would tell me with dreadful triumph that though i was sane as yet it would not be long before thanks to her i should be driven across the narrow line that still divided me from madness she would declare what i had been hitherto unaware of and do not even now believe that my own mother had died in a private asylum and that i should inevitably come to the same end or she would recall every act or speech of mine during the previous day that was capable of being distorted into evidence of mental disease and gloat over my progress towards insanity then she delighted in repeating all hugh's tender and adoring speeches to her and every slighting or compassionate remark that he and others had made about myself and other things worse still things the stain of which i would willingly wash from my memory if i could she would murmur in caressing musical tones that made them the more hideous to hear all this as she openly avowed was deliberately done to render me gradually insane through mental anguish and loss of sleep and it would hardly have been wonderful if her diabolical scheme had succeeded and if after a night of relentless persecution such as this i had indeed broken forth the next day in some fashion that might seem madness to most ears but i knew how fatal that would be and i was resolved not to gratify her hatred by any loss of self-command that i could possibly help no one but myself ever knew how near i came to it at times when i felt the blood surging and boiling up into my brain and the control of speech and thought slipping slipping away from me it was hard to have to endure evelyn's falseness to notice the ostentatious pains she took in public to humour or calm me to isolate me as much as possible from local society while secretly as i knew only too well she was encouraging the idea that my mind was unhinged when i went amongst people now i could see that they looked askance at me i could almost hear their whispers and i was often sorely tempted to go up and ask them plainly why they were afraid of me and give the lie boldly to the rumours that evelyn had been treacherously spreading still i resisted all such impulses feeling very certain that they would only answer me with smooth evasions or polite lying denials and then i might indeed have been stung into violent passion which of course would be exactly what evelyn hoped to effect chapter seven